Listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Trill, a podcast by The Trillium. My name is Aiden Shimandi. I'm a reporter here at The Trillium. Today, we're going to be talking all about municipal finances. Are cities broke? Do they need more help? More autonomy? To break it all down, today, I'm joined by... Enid Slack. I'm the director of the Institute on Municipal Finance and Governance at the School of Cities at the University of Toronto. Wonderful. So, Dr. Slack, we've heard a lot about the dire financial situation many cities across the province are facing as a result of the pandemic. But before we touch on that and and some of those issues, I'm wondering if you could explain a bit kind of what the lay of the land was before the pandemic. Was everything all right with city coffers before COVID? Well, yes and no, I guess is the answer to that question. Uh, You know, we have, we at uh, our institute have looked at the fiscal health of Toronto for a number of years. Uh, We started in 2014. And, um, you know, at that time, we found by a lot of measures, the fiscal health of Toronto looked pretty good. Uh, Expenditures, when adjusted for population growth and inflation, uh, were not increasing. Uh, In fact, they they were stable. Uh, Property taxes, again, when adjusted for population and inflation, uh, were at or below the rate of inflation. the city was balancing its operating budget, which, of course, it has to do by law. And borrowing for capital, you know, was certainly within reasonable limits for a city of its size. So it all looked good. Uh, but the problem we found was that the the infrastructure and the services uh, were deteriorating. And, you know, you said this is a dry subject, so we often try to make it fun. And back in 2014, uh, we liken Toronto's fiscal condition uh, to the health of an aging Maple Leafs defenseman, which, you know, people love hockey analogies. Uh, he may be a solid performer on the ice and well cared for uh, by the training staff, but he's increasingly expensive and in need of major knee surgery. Uh, you know, simply what we meant by that was the city's fiscal health is sound by most measures, but it's facing cost pressures and aging infrastructure and investment needs uh, present a huge financial challenge to the city. So the answer is yes and no. It, by many fiscal measures, the city of Toronto was looking good, um, but you know there were dark clouds on the horizon. Oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a huge Leafs fan. So is everyone at the Trillium. <laughs> So very much do appreciate that reference. You know, loyal listeners will know I try to make at least one Leafs reference every episode, and now you've done my job for me, so this is great. <laughs> great. So getting back on track here a little bit, how did the pandemic exacerbate this situation? Well, you know, we're starting with a situation where there is an infrastructure deficit, and then the pandemic comes, and it affected the expenditure side of the budget and the revenue side. So obviously expenditures on public health went up, uh, finding uh, more shelter space for the homeless population. IT costs went up because people were working from home. But the real the real hit to the city uh, was the loss of, of transit fare revenue. So as you know, Toronto's transit system depends uh, very heavily on transit fares. Um, and um, when, when ridership went down in the, you know, at the height of the pandemic by 80 to 90 percent, their revenues, their transit revenues went down by 80 or 90% as well. So, you know, that's 
particularly problematic in a city like Toronto, but other large cities that have uh, transit systems. I have to say, though, I mean, the property tax was relatively stable uh, during this time. There were uh, many cities gave property tax um, deferrals. You know, you could you could pay a couple months later, um, but property tax revenues remained fairly solid. So I want to broaden this out a bit to not just talk about Toronto. Are there any other municipalities that you've studied where you're either thinking, wow, these guys are on on great footing pre-pandemic or they were facing any kind of particular constraints similar to what Toronto was facing? Well, you know, I think the infrastructure deficit problem is widespread. And, uh, you know, the Financial Accountability Office in Ontario has estimated, you know, billions of dollars needed to bring infrastructure in in the municipalities across the province into a state of good repair. So so that's that's a widespread problem. The pandemic, again, hit larger cities especially hard um, because of the loss of transit revenues. But, you know, those municipalities uh, that are responsible for public health and for social services also saw increased costs. So is it as simple as, you know, transit ridership returns in some of these cities and some of these huge budget constraints that we're hearing about kind of disappear in relatively short order? Well, you know, you're assuming that that uh, transit ridership will come back to pre-pandemic levels, and it hasn't yet. So the big assumption, biggest, big, big assumption. assumption, and you know, we're hopeful, but it's not there yet. And and you know, with the big move to working from home, which is you know still going on, it's not clear those those revenues will come back. I mean, shelter costs and public health costs are still fairly high, and and this goes outside of Toronto. You know, we're finding cities like Peterborough have a problem of homelessness. Uh, we have an opioid crisis that goes beyond Toronto into other other cities and, and municipalities in Ontario. So, so I think there are pressures in, in more places than Toronto. One of the questions that I had written down that I was thinking of asking is, do you see any of these pressures abating anytime soon? Obviously, bringing up transit ridership, the shift to work from home, that's probably not something that's going to change anytime soon. My big assumption in the last question notwithstanding. But these things that we're talking about, social services, more responsibility for health services, we haven't even mentioned climate change yet. Like, Are, are these things that cities are just going to have to take care of more in the future and find a way to pay for? Well, um, there, there are pressures on municipalities to, to address a, a lot of these issues. Um, the question is whether the other governments will come and help. And I know we may talk about that soon, but, you know, there are a lot of pressures on municipalities. You've named a, a few. There's also inflation and, and rising, well, interest rates are still rising. So th- those may be short term, but inflation means the cost of delivering services are going up. It also means that people uh, are having trouble making ends meet and are turning to their municipalities for more services. So there's kind of a double pressure on municipalities. Of course, rising interest rates makes the cost of borrowing for cities higher. So it makes it harder uh, for them to invest in infrastructure because of the higher borrowing costs. You've talked about climate change, and and that's a really important issue. Um, And and there are two parts to that. I mean, the first is dealing with extreme weather events. And I don't know about you, but when I watch the news, the first three, four items are all about climate change and extreme weather events. So municipalities you know, have to respond to to the costs of floods and hurricanes and all of these other extreme weather events. 
But we also know that if we're going to reduce GHG emissions, most of those occur in cities, right? And so municipalities are going to have to retrofit buildings, provide more transit, uh, electrification, you know, so there there are pressures uh, arising from climate change as well. Immigration settlement. So the the federal government has increased uh, immigration targets that there are humanitarian, there are economic reasons for doing that. But many of the costs, at least in the short term, um, end up at, at the level of cities. So th- there are all these these issues um, that uh, that cities are being faced with. So I definitely want to talk about what role the other levels of government can play in alleviating some of these pressures on municipal budgets, but I'd like to maybe back into that a little bit because earlier in the interview, you said cities can't run deficits for operational expenses And I just want to stick there for a bit because I'm not entirely sure that all of our listeners will know that and understand why. So wondering if you could just explain that to someone not super up on the ins and outs of how municipalities operate. What exactly does this mean? Um, Well, municipalities are not allowed to budget for an operating deficit. And if they find at the end of the year they have one, as many cities did during the pandemic, they have to cover it in the following year. Um, But they are allowed to borrow to meet capital expenditures. So, you know, in many parts of the world, and certainly across Canada, municipalities are not allowed to run an operating deficit. Um, the, The reason they can borrow for capital is there's an asset. So, you know, you're building a bridge You've got that bridge. It's it's benefiting people over the next, say, 40 years. So it makes sense to borrow the money and pay for it over the next 40 years. We refer to that as intergenerational equity. In other words, the people who are using it over time are paying for it over time. But we're linking the borrowing to an asset. When we're talking about operating expenditures, there's nothing there. Like once you borrow the money, um, you know, the, the the services have been provided. There's there's nothing left. And so generally, we call it the golden rule of borrowing. Generally, municipalities in most countries are allowed to borrow for infrastructure or to make capital expenditures, but not for operating. And I'm not sure municipalities want to borrow for operating expenditures, right? Because borrowing has to be paid back. And, and you know, it puts an extra pressure on their budget. And Toronto is slightly different from the other municipalities in Ontario, right? Because it's governed by the City of Toronto Act, a piece of provincial legislation, whereas other municipalities fall under the Municipal Act, also a piece of provincial legislation. I'm wondering if there are any particularly salient differences between those two laws that you think are worth listeners knowing for the sake of this conversation. Well, they're quite similar, actually, but but there, there are some differences. And one is around borrowing. Um, so... In Ontario, uh, municipalities are permitted to borrow, but there are limits. And the limit is that their debt charges cannot exceed 25% of their own source revenues. In other words, their debt charges can exceed 25% of the revenues they collect themselves, as opposed to transfers from the other levels of government. Um, Under the City of Toronto Act, the City of Toronto has no limit on, no provincial limit on borrowing. Again, it can only be for capital purposes, but there's no limit. They set their own limit, um, but it's not a provincially legislated limit. In fact, their limit is 15% of their property tax revenues, which actually is a stricter limit uh, than the province sets for other municipalities. 
The other difference from a revenue point of view is that the City of Toronto Act permits the city to levy some additional revenues that other municipalities in Ontario cannot do. Uh, things like the municipal land transfer tax, which the city does levy, um, a billboard tax, which it does levy, a vehicle registration tax, which it did levy but doesn't anymore, um, alcohol taxes, entertainment taxes, uh, and some other uh, taxes as well. But so it gives them a bit more flexibility on the revenue side. Now, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about one of the biggest pressures facing municipal budgets is this infrastructure deficit. And I mean, infrastructure seems like a capital expense that cities could borrow more for. Could we, you know, partially solve this deficit if we just allowed cities to borrow more money or if Toronto lifted the self-imposed cap on how much they borrow? Well, technically, yes. Um, Toronto could could go above its limit um, because it doesn't, you know, it's it's self-imposed. The problem is, though, that um, borrowing is not a source of funding. It's a financing tool. In other words, you borrow the money, but you have to pay it back. And you need property taxes or user fees or some way to pay it back. And you have to pay it back. So often municipalities don't want to borrow. I mean, they do borrow for capital infrastructure, and perhaps they could borrow more. But but there is, you know, there, there's a limit in the sense that if they have to pay that money off first, that 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 you know puts pressure on other expenditures to to, to perhaps go down because it's the first call on their property tax and user fee revenue. So it, it it may constrain some of their other expenditures because they have to pay that money back. So I think we've been talking around it for a little bit, and now it's probably time to just dive into the question. Something you've written about a lot, something that we've talked about very briefly earlier in the interview, is municipalities needing a new financial deal, a new fiscal deal, a new kind of way to run themselves. I'm wondering if you could explain to listeners what you mean by this and why do you and many others say it? Well, you know, the the way municipalities uh, are, uh, the services they deliver and and, um, particularly the revenues they collect, you know, go back to the 1800s. You know, the Baldwin Act of 1849 kind of set up the revenues for municipalities. Um, I wasn't around in 1849, but I don't think it was a lot like today. (laughs) I think... I think municipalities back then were doing water and sewers and roads and you know uh, some very basic services, uh, but today they're they're dealing with an opioid crisis as we talked about. They're providing shelter for the homeless population. They're they're doing so many things that they didn't do back in 1849, and so there's been a lot of changes on the expenditure side of the budget. But still, you know, it's basically property taxes, user fees, and, and transfers. And so I think it's time to, to revisit the question of who does what. And we've done this before uh, in Ontario, um, but I think you have to do it on a regular basis. What should municipalities be doing? What services should they be delivering? And then the second question when we've answered that one is how should they pay for it? And so if, if we think municipalities should be delivering social services, then perhaps we need an income tax or some other tax at the local level to pay for it. We need to match the revenues they collect with the expenditures they're making. And why do you say an income tax specifically there, like if municipalities are going to do social services? 
Well, social services are designed to redistribute income from from high-income households to low-income households. So it makes sense to pay for it with a tax that also redistributes from high-income households to low-income households. And the best tax, the most progressive tax, uh, is the income tax. Are there any other taxes that you think would be fit for purpose there? Well, <laughs> you know, again, for social services, uh, you know, I, I would go with the income tax. Um, I, I think it's it's the most progressive tax. I mean, people talk about uh, making the property tax more progressive or making the municipal land transfer tax, you know, higher at higher levels. Um you know, nothing's as good as the income tax for for redistribution. Um, and again, at the local level, it's difficult to to do some of these things because even an income tax will have people responding by moving into another jurisdiction. And so, I think we need to consider the regional aspect. So, if you know, if you're going to charge higher taxes on higher income people, whether it's through income tax or land transfer tax. Um, you have to be understand that people will respond to that and possibly move out of the jurisdiction. But if you do it on a broader basis, like a regional basis, I think you'll see less response than if you do city by city, everybody doing something different. And what if you went even broader? You just had the provincial income tax, city's got a cut of that. Is that something that would help? Well, so that's tax sharing rather than taxation. And, and tax sharing means the province, in this case, would set the tax rates, maybe increase it a little bit, and share it with municipalities. I don't know on what basis, per capita, some other basis. That, that's simply a transfer. But if, if municipalities were able to piggyback onto the income tax, they could each set their own rates their own tax rates. And so, you know, Toronto might say we want to add 1%, another municipality might say half a percent, someone else might say one and a half percent. There's a certain local accountability there where a city says, you know, these are our expenditures, this is the amount of money we have to raise, and that's why we're setting this tax rate. You lose that accountability when it's when it's tax sharing, when the province just does it for you. So you clearly have a preference for municipalities getting more power over revenue streams versus transfer payments. But if we're comparing municipalities being given more power, these more revenue streams versus a higher level of government taking over that kind of service delivery, do you have a preference there? <laughs> well, you know, it, I, I think it's, it's complicated. And, 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 you know, what I'm calling for is uh, a study or, or some sort of, I think the three orders of government need to come together and figure out what municipalities should be doing. I suppose I have, I, you know, I have a preference for local autonomy, which would mean um, having municipalities deliver those services. Municipalities deliver services pretty well. Um, but if that's not going to happen, it would, sorry, if, if you want to do that, you really have to do the revenue side. And if the revenues are not forthcoming, then I think we do have to think about uploading. The, the services. You had mentioned bringing together all three levels of government to have a conversation on these issues. You know, if I'm not mistaken, you were involved in a review like this years ago. Can you let us in on what that effort was, what you learned and took away from it? Well, I was on the Who Does What panel that David Crombie chaired in 1996, and we looked at um, a number of services with a number of criteria and sort of thought, you know, what should go up to the province, what should come down to municipalities, or or what should stay. And, you know, at the time, 
we thought it had to be either or. We, you know, we're really keen on it being sort of a clean break. You know, this is what the province does. This is what municipalities do. I think we've learned since then that it's much more complicated. And both levels of government may have to be involved in some services. We just have to be clear about who does what and, and how we pay for it. So I think I think it is going to be a mixture. It's not going to be a clear cut. This goes up, this, this comes down, but rather um, uh, a collaboration and coordination of services between both levels of government. You know, from a couple of your previous answers, it's it's really sounding like there's not really a permanent way to fix this. Like, we'll you know, we'll kind of need every 10 or however many years to go back and have a who does what panel. Well, permanent makes me nervous. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, as I said, you know, the world has changed. Um, I, I said it changed since 1849, but it's, it's changed since 20 years ago. Right. And so I, I do think we have to revisit these things. I think if municipalities has access to other revenue sources, uh, like like an income tax, for example, we 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 may um, see less of a need to to revisit this, you know, every year. But 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 I do think we do have to look at what's happening in the world. I mean, issues of climate change, opioid crisis. These are these are you know relatively new. And and um, so we, and maybe we could have, but I don't think we did foresee them. And and so we do have to re- revisit the who does what and how to pay for it from time to time. Well, I think we are running up on time, so I will have to leave it there. Dr. Slack, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. Listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. Come back again in two weeks. See you then.